Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today, we are talking with George Dwight from one of our sponsors, The Codify, about what it takes to be successful when launching a business. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Innovation Conversation. Today, we have George uh, from The Codify. He's one of our sponsors at our event that we run in London. Uh, George, welcome. Me and Harry are both very excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. That's uh, a pleasure. So, George, you want to tell us a bit more about Decodify to our listeners? Yeah, so Decodify is a low-code, no-code platform. Um, essentially, we help um, startups um, develop their, their technology stack from scratch using low-code, which is very beneficial because it's far more affordable. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. So in, how, how did you get started with Decodify? Because I know you're a bit of an entrepreneur yourself. So you want to tell us about that journey? Yeah, so I, um, during um, the start of lockdown, I was working in a law firm, um, mm-hmm. studying law. I was just about to start my LPC. And then unfortunately, they had to let me go um, because obviously lockdown meant no training contracts. You had to train face to face. So there was no promise to bring me back and we didn't know what was going on with lockdown. So mm-hmm. I took a complete change in, in ideas and decided to do a business degree online. Um, that that then um, got me to start my first um, startup, which was SDQR, which was um, one of the first, um, believe it or not, QR scanning code systems for bars and restaurants. Um, but we did it very much for um, for smaller businesses, so we weren't charging them um, monthly fees. We just did a one off cost, um, and it brought up the menu, and you could order, and it went directly to the till. So it was a very cool, cool little product. Um, I then got approached by um, an old school friend on LinkedIn who was doing the same, um, but making it far more complex, building a full full scale app. Um, so I, um, I I spoke to him about joining up with him, and then I decided um, the best thing to do was to sell the database. Von. So I gave him all the contacts I had, and um, fortunately for me, I made a little bit of money. And six months later, when COVID ended, he folded. So it was a good time to get. Um, so I, I, I then used, um, whilst I was doing that, I bumped into a chef um, in Carlisle who was more and more frustrated with the prices of Deliveroo, Just Eat, um, the standard delivery platform. So we decided to partner up and, and build um, a more upper market gourmet food delivery platform. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, um, they took advantage of me. Uh, and, and they, they took advantage of the fact that I used some of my own investment money and I was the one putting the time into it. So yeah. after six months of building um, an app from scratch, we parted ways um, and we thought that we were ahead. Um, we being myself and my investor, dad, very kind, parents <laughs> investing. Um, we thought we were ahead of them. We thought we could get ahead of them and launch earlier. But unfortunately, um, the app developers, they, they screwed us around. And they launched the other guys before ours uh, so we ended up launching yeah it was it was a real sort of yeah. fuck you moment to be honest um so we ended up um launching six months too late as a result of that um, mm-hmm. and during that time covid had sort of fizzled out a bit mm-hmm. um so we lost we lost that sort of market interest there um but then 
I came across David, who um, is current. I'm working for currently the, the the founder of Decodify, and he gave me an idea of um, creating a bit of a Fortnum and Masons of the North, yeah. um, gourmet boxes. Um, but I wanted to create it so that um, the partners were more sort of farm farm people, so it was more farm to table. Um, so I was getting the users onto my app um, and they were essentially just selling their products through us. So I would bring them the business, they, the customers would use the app and then I'd take a small commission. Um, a lot of people who are into business might be listening now and thinking, well, that's not going to work because once they've sold one box, um, they're just going to put their own marketing materials in there, offer a discount and people are just going to go direct. Correct. That's yep. exactly what happened. So it very, very quickly um, fizzled out. I kept on trying. I kept on trying to find new suppliers. I kept trying to get them to engage. Um, but eventually, as COVID really did come to an end and everyone went back to their normal um, living environments, people gave up. It was sort of a second sort of work from home job. So it came to an end. Um, and David and I are looking at relaunching it, but not just quite yet because I'm busy with, with Decodify. But what that has done is it's put me in a fantastic position today to um, to do what I do at Decodify, which is um, I'm a commercial director and I bring in the business and I support those those startups, um, trying to get them not to go through the same issues that I had. Think mm-hmm. about their idea. So a bit of a bit of a um, varied background there, but bringing us nicely onto where I am today. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Thank you for that. I think it's always, it's always fun when we, when I'm talking to people, um, founders who you know have grown and evolved because we can learn from their mistakes. And I think that's that's one of the big advantages of having uh, such interesting guests on our podcast is actually what can we learn from their story from their mistakes. And you just pointed out you know a couple right there that at the time you probably didn't know you know what to do differently. But you know it's just one of those things uh, they tend to happen, right? And, you know, me and Harry, every time we organize our events and even the podcast, we make so many mistakes. And I think having the mindset or the mentality where we say, you know what, mistakes are part of our journey. So let's embrace them. Let's accept them, not as failures, but as learning opportunities, you know, just gets you to the next stage in life and business, whatever it might be, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important now with with what I've been through. I mean, I spent several, several thousands of pounds building um, an application from scratch where I just bit the bullet. I did, obviously I did my market research and at the time there was definitely a market for a niche gourmet box delivery service. Um, but obviously time wasn't on, on my, my hands. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't good for me. And also the, the developers weren't right. And I spent all that money without testing the initial product, which is where MVPs come in, minimal viable products. So lots of, lots of mistakes to make there, but certainly those that I can, I can give feedback to people now to hope that they don't make the same mistakes. So, so at the good feedback it, on that side, it's, uh, it's interesting because would you say you would have had the same issues or problems if you did your whole project in London? Or do you think the fact that you're up north in Leeds, it was a bit easier to kind of help justify, validate it, raise a little bit of money? Is it, would you say it's regional Pacific, what you did? Yeah, I do. I do think that was um, a massive problem as well, especially with the first idea where it was going to be food. You know, it was supposed to be hot food delivered. Um, and actually, I'm further north than Leeds. So I live in the Lake District at the moment. And during lockdown, I was there all the time um, with my family. And that very much is the nearest towns. You know, they're six, seven miles away. So to get that sort of high quality food to your door in, in, in time where it's still fresh and smells good and it's still hot is really a challenge, um, a challenge that 
yeah, a challenge that we we were going to get round, um, but we it would have been easier if we were in a big city. Yeah. Oh, definitely, because there's so many opportunities out there for small communities, especially if you can get into it. I've got uh, my little cousin, he, he lives in a remote region. I keep on reminding him, why don't you do uh, do all these bits and pieces? But then at the end of the day, it comes down to you need a lot of certifications and, other, you know, let's say health and safety, stainless steel, you know, a good investment into a proper kitchen or a ghost kitchen to really get this off the ground. And even going and finding these fresh suppliers, you've got companies like Wonky Veg who have done really, really well. You know, found the ugly vegetables and and gone out there into the market that no one wants to eat. <laughs> but it, it, well, you laugh on it, but it's the fact that you know everyone wants perfection. Even if you look into a business, a startup, a startup uh, co-founder is always a perfectionist. Perfectionist. But going back to the vegetables, the fact that sixty percent of vegetables are thrown away because they don't fit a certain characteristic, meaning color, look, appeal, size. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really it was a really good business model. And what you're doing was really good during COVID, especially targeting the healthy options that especially around schools and families and children on that mm. side but as you said it's it's the uh it's definitely worth considering or looking back into if you can find some sort of freight forwarder or some sort of absolutely yeah i think i think you're right harry as well is um david uses this expression pissing money up the wall i think we were <laughs> we were we were very much orientated around making sure that the name which was gourmet to go it's still a fantastic name we actually stole that name off morrison's we got the IP for it and yeah, they were going through, they had the name and what happens is if you don't use it in a three year period, someone else can can take it from you, but mm-hmm. you can obviously put your objections forward. But at the time Morrison's were actually looking to sell their business. So it slipped through the lawyer's net. Nice. Um, what, what would be nice is if they, uh, if they decided they wanted it back and they paid me thousands of pounds for the name, but never mind, we might, we might get there. Um, but you're right. It's, um, it's one of those things that, you know, we, with the, with the gourmet boxes, we were aiming to to help those suppliers, but in return, they they needed to help the other suppliers. You know, the mm-hmm. whole idea was don't just put your marketing material in that box. Put the other people's in there as well. Put our name in there because if you're going to buy the most amazing cheese from this farm that no one's had before, it's not in Booth Supermarket, it's not in Waitress, it's not in Tesco's. How about buy some wine as well that's from a, a local supplier in, um, outside of London or in Somerset? That was the idea. And the idea is still there. Um, it's just about me Finding creating them. the boxes, I think. I'm going to have to bring reliable. it all together. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it comes down to having that re- you know reliability as well. Like A, a good idea, for, which you could potentially pivot towards in the future is looking into vertical farm companies because I know there's quite a few based up in Leeds and around uh, around the north and quite a few in the west as well but they're popping up all over the place and again they need help with distribution it's fresh produce it's a little bit more expensive it's luxurious there's less pesticides but that could be something to kind of work on once it becomes a bit more mainstream as well 100% yeah and who knows where we're going to go next year but I think I think that sort of dives into the ideas of the challenges and the successes that you have when you're starting up um there, there were so many successes we you know we we started off really really well up here we had a great business plan we had people interested in investing in us um but it all comes back to the person who started the idea that the founder the entrepreneur and and i i have no shame in sitting here or telling people i'll, I'll tell everyone that i gave away an opportunity to have a lot of investment put into me because i was stubborn about my original idea and I didn't want to change it. Um, so the investors were put off by the fact that I wasn't open to change. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was because, I, you know, I, when you come up with an idea, 
they want to take more than what you want to give them to start with. But also, you know, that idea you think is perfect. And sometimes you're not op- always open to change your ideas. Um, so what, what suggestions did they give you to, to change? Or what was the feedback that they said that you weren't quite happy with? So, I mean, I mean, the main, the main change was, is that I, the app was originally just for, like I said, we would promote them. They were on our app. We would take a percentage and we would provide um, DHL, who were the delivery service. Um, the, all they would have to do is, is post the food. Um, but what was happening is, like I mentioned earlier, is that it's obvious that they were getting multiple more orders from one order from us. They were putting their own marketing material in there. They weren't putting Gourmet to go in there. And they were increasing their sales because their products were great. And that's fantastic. But it didn't come back to me. So the, the advice was, here's your money, but you're going to have to sit, find a warehouse or a, sh- or a small um, unit. And you're going to have to buy the products in and make something special out of it. So make the best of the Lake District, make the best of Yorkshire um, mm-hmm. and do it that way. And to be honest, part of me probably was because of laziness. But also there were concerns over the fact that you'd have to buy a hundred bottles of that specific vinegar or that specific product and have to store that for so much time uh, yeah. before you got the sales. So there was always the concern there. So that, that was the advice they gave me and um, it's still up here and I will possibly think about reopening the idea in time. But yeah, that, that was why I didn't change it. It's also, it's also a big gamble, isn't it? Cause when you start thinking about having warehouses full of supplies, <clears throat> that's a lot of money sitting there. And I think that's always something that when you're building a business, you need to consider, which is, plus, on, on top of that, you you also have perishable items, right? So it's not something that you can sell six months down the line. It's fine. There's a time frame for you to sell those. So it does influence a lot of the cash flow into the business and does require quite a lot of money as well. So I completely understand why you went the route you did, because I'll probably try to do the same, because, okay, how can I get less hassle and less risk in the business? So, But it's it's hard. It's very hard to evaluate a business and say this is the right call this is not the right call because some some of the businesses we love nowadays they all came up with those crazy ideas let's take uber for example oh we actually don't own any taxes so how do you do oh we just you know make make the call and you know uh, make the connection oh, sounds a bit crazy um but it does work so yeah, yeah it's it does it does so how much money would you have needed to raise to have uh, got your startup off the grounds well, that well, the, well, the, inve- the investor that was that was interested was, was thinking that probably between thirty and fifty thousand pounds would would be enough. And but I'd already spent probably with legal fees and accountancy fees and marketing ideas and all of that sort of stuff, which which wasn't actually that necessary. Probably spent about twenty five, twenty six thousand pounds. So with the investment money plus my money, I would have been able to do it if I'd started fresh. Um, mm-hmm or started from scratch. And I think that's a massive lesson to learn, you know, from, from what I did was that if you're going to start, do something when that, when that moment hit, when those, those guys that were partnering with me went and tried to launch themselves and got sooner. And I don't know how they managed to pull over the app developers quicker than we did. I should have just said, right, is there a quicker, easier solution to do this? How can we jump into a market without spending any more money essentially and that should have just been by building an mvp by building a website um you know using low code which is which is more out there now it wasn't so so much before but you i could have just built a website for two thousand pounds and and started that way no no i was just i'm curious about the codify because you mentioned low code i know that's that's exactly what the guys do at the codify i was just 
wondering, um, you know, now that you've been on, I guess, both sides of, of the fence in terms of actually being a, an entrepreneur, but also now working with a company that builds MVPs, um, how are you helping out other people right now? So we, um, as a business, we don't just build the product. There are 12 of us um, and we we work as an agency as a whole, David um, from the top and then me and then um, two project managers and the developers. We're all a team, so we all work in it together. And the idea is that if you come to us with an idea, we'll help you build that solution. So mm -hmm. not only are we um, tech entrepreneurs and we'll build the website or the app or the power assisted website that you like, that you'd like to build. We'll also give you that mentoring along the way, um, which is really, really crucial because like me, I didn't have, I, I'm totally honest, my dad was my, my, my backer and he's a professional. He doesn't know how to start necessarily, he runs his own business, but he doesn't know how to start an entrepreneurial business like this. So having that mentor behind you, having that support, having those people that can sit down and say, right, You've told us that you want 122 things to be put into this application, but your budget's only 10,000. Yeah. It's going to cost 100,000 if you do all those things. Let's sit down again and reevaluate how we can get a working product out there, how we can get that MVP out there. And by doing that, you get, you know, you start with a waiting list. And that's, yeah. that's what David and I advise all of our clients that are coming in. Um, we talk to them obviously about investment opportunities that can come from David, myself, or other individuals that we can find them. But also we talk about getting something out there in four weeks, get it live, get it tested by friends, family, colleagues, and, and, and then you can then prove your concept and then look to raise money to build it into something more special, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so what's but those are the sorts of advice that that's advice that we give as opposed to okay, we'll take your money, here's your product, see you again, good luck. And that's what you get with a lot of technology agencies um, and we are trying to be different. So well, I think the one thing when we met in person, you, you mentioned about yourself and David and a couple of the others that you're also angel investors and that kind of sets you apart from all the other developers and no-code developers out there as well that you not only work with individuals and give them advice, but you also, if you like what they're doing and see you know, they fit with your missions, you'd also put a bit of money in as well. Yeah, so there's always the option, um, David and I, I'm young, so but, but I have raised money, I've saved money, and I, I'm, I've invested in two other businesses as well, which I'll, I'll tell you about a bit later. But David, is um, he's listed 30 out of 100 in the angel investors um, list in the UK. So when David thought about Decodify, he was working with a couple of clients, building their, building their technology stacks from scratch. And when low code came more, important and more of a faz it was was more out there he decided to then build and create decodify for that reason um and that was to 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 engage with 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 startup individuals like me where i should where i was three or four years ago and say look stop you've got this idea you've got the problem you want you've got the solution how can we build <clears throat> excuse me how can we build that stack how can we create that how can we get you from spending five thousand pounds building it to being worth 300,000 in six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks time. Um, and David will invest a lot of time, likewise I will as well, during that process. Not only are we trying to get the sale on so that we can build the product and look after our, look after our partners within the company, but also so that we can see that individual grow and their business grow. Um, David and I will either invest our time as part of as part of that investment so we'll mentor them through the through the process or 
we'll offer a split fee so we could offer um part technology paid for um part paid for by themselves part paid for by us as investors or as decodify um mm-hmm. or down the line once the proof of concept once it's been built once you've built that waiting list as we keep calling it a waiting list then we'll say okay for it to move to the next stage twenty thousand pounds is needed here it is Um, and a conversation will always be had about that and that sets us apart but it's not all just about investment it's not all just about finding and keeping the the customers the clients that are going to make millions it's about helping those startups make it worth their while we don't want them to waste their time and money and we will be we will be honest with them as well we will guide them and we will try and tell them where an idea needs refined or it needs repurposing or something like that to make it work if that makes sense <clears throat> so just want to rewind back slightly on that as well because you mentioned about giving advice support and having david on your books as well who have in, originally gave you advice and support mm. so would you say having a mentor I, I guess it's very rare to have a mentor like that who would also take you on if you're wing want to work from you from you know an individual he gave advice to to bring you up bring you into a quite a very high position within the company to also kind of mentor others as well and bring you on Nifa's wing would you say having that mentorship was really crucial for you and again this is what you're trying to give back to others as well well it is yeah and and David essentially has been my mentor even now that I'm working for him and I'm I'm in a in a, in a position in the company where um, I'm, I'm quite high up now but he he was he was offering his mentorship and his investment and i said no no bye bye bugger off my <laughs> idea is better i don't want your help and and that is and but it, but in, in turn it's turned around and he, he sort of he said when he employed me i told you so <laughs> i told you it wouldn't work unless you change but but you know massive kudos george for trying and that puts you in the position that's why i'm getting you on board that's why i want you to be my partner in decodify because now you've learned those lessons, you're able to openly and freely give yourself a slap on the wrist mm-hmm. and be able to help those people who might be a bit stubborn like you were and say, please don't do that. Please take our advice. And having a mentor, a lot of investors will just give the money because they think it's a good idea and they'll, you know, they'll want their return. They'll want to, to hear from you occasionally and, and get their percentage every quarter. But David and I, as investors, and Decodify as a business, we're there to support. We're you know we're there to help along the way, um, and it's something as well. An investor in two startups. One of them, uh, in what I did was I they came to me. I, I wanted to build. I said it's time for you to build a um, students a student party game. It's called Leg Lap, um, and it's. As it sounds, it's partying, it's drinking, it's having a great laugh at university. And they came to me, uh, I said, build an app, that's how you're going to make money. They had paper cards, that's so old school now, let's put it all digital. They agreed, uh, and they, you know, they got a match grant from a university, but they needed the money to build the app. Um, and, and at this time, I was averse to low-code, no-code, but I chose that I think they needed to build it from scratch because... Um, I thought it would grow incredibly quickly and it's been worthwhile building it from scratch. So I invested in that company and I also said, you know, I'm an active investor. I'm a director as well, which is another thing which doesn't always happen. Investors might not be directors, so they might not have a say in anything. Um, So actively engaging with that investment means guiding them through certain steps as well. They are a lot younger than me. They've done really well. 
Um, but when this when things start to go down, it's about pushing them back up because I'm the one that's invested the most money, I guess, into it. So for me to to lose out because there's a bit of a dip in sales, that concerns me as an investor, but also as a mentor and also as a director. So it's important to be able to push them back up and get them re-motivated. Um, and that's something which you'll find and, and, and clients that come on with us will find that we will, as investors and mentors, keep you going. We will keep you positive. It's, I think it's, it's such a powerful message because... You know, in my background in sales, I found that the, the strongest possible selling technique I could ever have was to say no to a client. Why? Because I needed to be honest when I needed to be honest, right? If people think that you are bullshitting your way around business uh, or you, you're kind of deceiving them in any way, shape or form, they'll back away and you're not mm. be seen as an authority figure. If on the other side, you are completely honest and transparent when doing business, people do appreciate that a lot. And sometimes that does mean saying no. But then you, you, you justify your no. So this is why I'm not doing this. And it's completely fine if you decide to walk away. And I think when you have that message and you say that to people, they tend to stay and they tend to trust you and they tend to do business with you, right? Because it's just it's such a powerful thing to do. It is, yeah. And that's, um, <clears throat> you know, that was another thing that I was going to say is that we do get, being low code, we do get <laughs> a challenge of different people approaching us. And we do have to say no for several reasons. We're an agency, we employ, um, just just gonna get it out there because it's really important, but we decided to go with Ukraine de Ukrainian developers when the war broke out. And I think that's, um, that yes, is essentially, um, I'm allowed to be honest, they are more affordable than using UK developers. Um, mm -hmm. But that isn't the reason we went with them. We went with them because of the hardships that they were having over there for obvious reasons, losing their families, losing their friends. So for us to be able to support support them as well, and they're actually part of our team, which is really, really massive. But at times we do have to turn around to clients and say, don't take the piss out of us. You know, we're not going to build something. We're not going to discount that. We have to pay our bills as well. Um, because with low codes, you do mm -hmm. find a lot of self-employed developers that can just do it off the books by themselves and charge you, you know, 10, 20, 25 pounds an hour. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you've got you know full-scale business you've got lots of people to pay as you well know you can't do it for that cheap and nothing is cheap and if you want the best product from someone you've got to go with the right agency um, and i think yeah it is really important it is a powerful message you do sometimes have to say no um, but david and i will still give those people the time of the day and say have you thought about this have you considered doing it this way will you change that if you will then we'll consider helping you throughout the whole process that makes That's sense it, it's it's money well spent mm -hmm. it's the same thing when you go for a haircut right you're not going for someone to close the scissors by your hair and for the hair to fall down you're going because you're looking for something that fits your face and for a specific style or when you go to the car mechanic you go to the guy you trust because he's gonna tell, you know what change this don't change that the other one uh, how do you drive you drive back and forth to the supermarket you know what you're fine with that those brakes or those tires or whatever it might be and and that does make a difference right and it's if you guys do that or when you guys are that in business i think it just sets you apart from the competition because again you're not trying to sell 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 you're trying to okay how can we provide you with value and a good service right that's incredibly powerful so who are your target market as well if you don't mind us asking that'd be quite a good one for for decodify because again it's such a broad market because then suddenly you can have very very niche such as blockchain web free deep tech other things that don't really require that at this stage, but I guess you're you right. Yeah. 
Um, it, it is difficult to narrow it down, actually. Um, we, we will take on a range of different um, ideas, you know, building marketplaces, building um, SaaS platforms, working with individuals to help improve their website. There's, there is a wide range, um, but we do focus on MVPs, on startups. That is where we are up to at the moment as a business. We, we, we are developing, but, uh, you know, like I said, David and I want to, to support those MVPs, those those people who are coming up with an idea and they want to build it from scratch, um, and that's where we come in because you can you can take on a project that's already been half built, but then it's not your own, um, and and you can you know we've tried taking on other people's work before and tried to change it round and they have issues with it and they 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 know what they're talking about and they don't know what they're talking about and it's all very complicated, whereas. The market that we're looking for at this present time is, are you starting fresh? If you are, come to us and we'll guide you through the whole process from start to finish. Um, that being said, we will take on other clients as well. And there are, there are a few that we're working on that are possibly just past the MVP stage, but still need that guidance and maybe need bringing back to MVP level. Um, but really it is looking at that startup, um, startup task. Yeah, it makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, we talk with a lot of people and we interview a lot of people also in the event. And it's funny how many of them kind of think that they can completely eliminate the MVP stage. Oh, yeah, we don't need an MVP. Yeah, you kind of do. First, try out the concept, see if it does work, if there's a market for it, and then grow it out. Instead of saying, hey, we need half a million pounds to build a, an app. I really don't. <laughs> All right, just go for a, a solution. Yeah, and again, Ricardo, I mean... I attended your amazing event at the end of the end of October last week, actually, and it was fantastic to listen to all those people get up and pitch their ideas. Um, but I was sat there at the bank, just thinking to myself, "Right, you should be going back to MVP stage. Okay, you've got an idea. You're asking for half a million pounds. Have you got a proof of concept out there? No, you haven't. Okay, great. I understand that you want to build the most perfect looking app from the start, but actually." Let's go back to basics here, guys, and let's build the proof of concept because you're going to be far more investable in, or this is what I find and what David finds, if you have spent five to ten thousand pounds building that initial product, mm -hmm. putting it on the market, trying it with friends and family, getting feedback, and then saying, okay, to, to, to make this better, we're going to need another twenty thousand pounds to use the feedback from clients. So I think that a lot of the people that I listened to, whilst their pitches were absolutely fantastic in 60 seconds, um, my advice to them would be come and see us or come and see an agency that can help you start from scratch. Do not go for the big Facebook idea of spending half a million pounds building a product. Um, and interestingly, just very briefly on that half a million pound idea, my, my friend... Um, started an app when I started and it was called deliver me and it was on dragon's den. And, um, they all said you're running into a burning inferno because they had raised, they'd launched a version one, but they'd spent 50 to 60,000 um, pounds building that with UK developers. They'd launched a version one and the, the proof of concept, the idea was order anything you want from a city and get it within 30 minutes. So have those drivers, right? I want a pair of Adidas trainers. I'm in the center of Leeds. I'll order them through Deliver Me. And a driver that's out and about like you would with food will go to that Adidas store Buy and it. collect them and take them home in 30 minutes. Now, whilst the concept may well be a good idea, um, 
they they raised through crowdfunding i think around 2.8 million and the when they went on dragon's den it's a really interesting pitch to watch if anyone's interested in watching it but they, they were all told how much how much is it going to cost to to progress this to the next stage and it was going to be between 50 and 100 million to get it out in every single city but it had to be there for it to work and yep. the idea is good but scale it way back and think right it doesn't it's not food because food's an overcrowded market so let's mm-hmm. think about it should it be technology products okay let's focus on um curries and pc world and apple in leeds yep. let's get them on board let's get people using it then then you start generating the income you get the drivers on board and then you can progress through the ranks and start saying right we can get food we can get trainers in there we can get nike in there mm-hmm. all of those different products and it failed and I hope I'm, I'm sure all of those people will have been in short. They would have got their money back. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people invest as little as 20 quid doesn't matter. But yeah. there are a lot of people in there investing 50, 60,000 um, pounds. And they, they just didn't have the proof of, proof of concept out there. And after Dragon's Den, they even had the balls to stand mm-hmm. there in the interview afterwards and say, oh, we don't care what these dragons say. We know it's going to work. But yet when they presented those figures to the dragons, yeah. They were they were like Stephen Bartlett said, running into a burning inferno. They were they, it was all over the place, um, and it was fantastic for a moment. They got all that marketing, um, sponsorship, and all of that sort of thing. More people invested in the idea, but they hadn't thought about it. And their their main goal was if we can get an audience talking about this through marketing, mm-hmm. we will build the money and we'll be able to build a product. Well, we talk a lot about getting an audience and getting the product tested. But they did this the wrong way. They did this the complete wrong way. And it's, it's just an interesting example. Yeah, but it's also a very competitive market. I think the problem with scalability and when you, you're building things for, for millions of people is that you need a lot of money to get to that stage. I mean, look at uh, the first couple of interviews you had from uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. And he was actually joking around with the fact that he didn't make any money. He was like, how can you not have any profit? You sell thousands of items. Uh, well, millions of billions of items. And he said, oh, that's okay. I keep on reinvesting back in the business because he knew he needed to put a lot of money to grow to the stage where he is right now. And, you know, those type of delivery apps, it's very hard to capture all that market, to make sure it's profitable, to compensate for the investment you have. It's very, very hard. And I think throughout Europe, there are so many delivery apps that have consistently lost money over mm-hmm. and over until they got acquired by someone else and say, you know what, we're going to get all your customers, all, all, all your infrastructure for a tenth of what we would buy if we were to make it ourselves. So it makes sense. That- I think, I think Ricardo, um, I, I mean, I've just completed my master's in business and finance and it was based around a company and I chose Ocado for the reasons mm-hmm. that um, obviously I tried and failed Gourmet to Go, which was a, an upper market version of that. And I did all my market research on every single food delivery company out there. And I can honestly tell you, not a single one of them are in profit. Not a single one of them, including Uber. Uber do well with their taxis, but their food, their their profits, they're not making enough money to pay their investors back. Um, And that's because the market is saturated. No, it's, it's, I think it's a very, very hard market. You know, it's com- like you said, completely saturated. And it's so hard because the, the, I think it's a bit like selling ketchup, isn't it? it it's, it's not an expensive product, but it, you end up always buying the same brand. We're very close to it, right? Times. So the profit margin is very, yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's a tiny profit margin. And it's the same thing for all these companies. They're building gigantic things, but with a tiny profit margin. And mm. if they think they're all going to be successful, it's not going to happen. 
Same thing with ketchup. We always go for Heinz, right? There's a reason. I mean, you can go for the supermarket one, which is sometimes as good as, but you're always going to go for Heinz at the end of the day. So always, yeah. you do, you do. And again, that brings it back to the importance of having a good name, having a good brand behind things. Mm-hmm. But you can't get to that point unless you've unless you've started with that your proof of concept. And I I was trying to jump. I had the most amazing brand designer. I had the most amazing colors, graphics. Everything was amazing. But who the hell are you, Gourmet to Go? We don't know you. And if I had been able to launch in hindsight, you know, I know if I gave myself some some feedback on on starting, it would have been start sooner, get the name out there, and utilize. Um, I guess COVID, which was how I would have been able to make my name. Um, now it's very much going to be. It's never going to be what it could have been if I'd launched it properly during lockdown, because yep. it's just going to be a smaller, so, sort of like a second business for myself now. If I re, if I relaunch it. Oh, you can always do something else, right? I mean, it's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I've got many ideas up here. Don't worry. No, that's, that, but that's the thing with with, with entrepreneurs is that uh, it's never just one idea. It's never just a one-hit wonder, right? You always have ten ideas going on on your mind at the same time, and it's hard to select the one you're gonna you're actually gonna work on. But then you always think, you know, if this fails, that's okay. I got another, you know, nine ideas I want to explore. And I think when you look at the biographies of you know very very successful business people, uh, businessmen, uh, you tend to to find exactly that. They try one idea, oh, this didn't work. Let's try something else. I'm thinking, you know, Richard Branson, um, the many ideas he had and completely failed, like Virgin Cola, for example. We're actually talking yeah. about that, you know, apparently had a very, very decent, I never tried Virgin Cola myself, but he said, look, everyone liked it. It was much better than Coca-Cola. Okay. But why didn't you manage to win over the competition? Because it was Coca-Cola. You know, I was giving, giving, you know, pellets of, of drinks and they were kidding out the, the shops with the fridges and signs and all the things. I couldn't compete in that market. Right. So, yeah. And I think, I think going back to that is the idea of, I, I could have made something better from gourmet to go if i hadn't spent every single penny that i had of my money at the time failing and not listening to that advice i i spend too much building that product from scratch so if you are one person who comes to us with an idea we will find an idea if, if you're an investable person don't worry one of those ideas will definitely work and yeah. that is a piece of advice that i will give anyone that is that has the, the strength and the ambition and the ability to come up with ideas because not everyone can run their own business, come up with their own ideas. And if you've got an idea, come forward, speak to an, speak to us, speak to Decodify, speak to me, speak to the startup events. They will all, they'll all point you in the right direction. And yeah. from that, you, you fail once, but you won't keep on failing. And mm-hmm. you will be given that advice to, to, to how you can succeed in one of those businesses for sure. There's a, there's a lot of scope to move around and I, I guess moving on to a, a slightly different subject is around something we mentioned from the very beginning, which was the ecosystems throughout the UK. And I'd like to kind of get your view being based up in Leeds of how would you say or how would you compare it to London? Would you say it's more beneficial to be in a less competitive area or is it more beneficial to be in a, a more competitive area because you have more connections or less connections, but they're more worthwhile? What would be your view on that? And that, that's a good question because I think every area is different and it depends what your your product or your market is. Um, with technology, mainly they're online, aren't they? But having having that network of people that you can speak to and connect with initially is really, really important. So during lockdown, 
if you're stuck in that bedroom in the Lake District and don't have a network of people that you can meet like this every single day and tell them about your idea and get feedback, you're going to struggle. But being in a city like Leeds, Leeds is a big city, Manchester's a big city. You're always going to bump into people. You can go, if you work for yourself, you can go into little hub spots and, and chat to people there and grab a coffee. Um, but the, the systems in London and the bigger cities are obviously going to, to set you up better, don't get me wrong. But wherever you are, there are an abundance of people like you that are looking for startup ideas, looking for opportunities, looking to connect with people. And they just need to get out there and make those connections and it will work for them. So yeah. I know what you're trying to say about being in London and the importance, but I, I tend to disagree in the fact that it's not just where you are, it's who you are and your ability to connect with those different people. Um, and I think that's really important. We, we would fly to the other side of the world to get business and to network with people we certainly would do that and that's 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 what what we're like and we came to london to see you guys it's not that far um but it was important that we 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 network in a different area and people get to know who we are and they don't just go to the standardized google search engines to find people in their area well definitely it's a it's a good one on that side and then one key feature that you mentioned quite a few times even when you met us in the at the startups events was how you also like to engage with universities and universities being very influential in the business ecosystem. Would you say that's the same? Like work with a uni, kind of get in their early stage, get funding, get some traction, get brand awareness. Is that kind of a key? Absolutely. They have have a certain amount of money to give away to startup ideas um, every year. And it depends what what you're looking at. So we're working with a client at the moment who's in the... um, and the physiotherapy uh, area, and she's been given a grant from just the standardised grants that you can get in the UK. But universities will give up start; they will do match grants, they will do startup grants. So, for example, Leglap, who I invested in, they were going to be given a fifteen thousand pound grant if it was matched to pay for the application. So they've just got themselves as a business fifteen thousand pound investment plus fifteen thousand that they can use to market the idea, to bring in those initial customers. So having that network within the university environment is really, really important. And it might only be £500 that they give you, but that £500 might be able to get you that that sign-up list that I talked about earlier. It might get you your first 100 customers. You might be able to print your flyers. You might be able to build your brand on it. Um, You know, the the Prince's Trust as well. Um, they they visit a lot of universities. They work with a lot of startups. That these are the things that people need to be doing when they're starting up. Um, and if people don't talk about them, if people don't go to these networking events, they're not going to find out these ideas. Mm-hmm. No, it's fascinating. How many? How much support is it out there? And how little people know about the support there is out there. And I think you know Harry helps a lot of businesses with grant applications and all that. And it's for me. It's always fascinating thinking. Well, we got so much support, and it's you know, it, it, it's not that it's easy, but it's out there. Just go and look out for it because you're going to find it. If it's the Princess Trust, if it's I don't know Virgin Startups, if it's some bank they have you know their own startup programs and they're willing to invest, just go out there and, and try to find it because it'll it'll definitely make a difference for, for any business. Yeah, it will. It will 100%. And people need to be more aware of events like what you're doing. Uh, what you're doing is fantastic, and we discussed aiming it at a specific niche in the market, like, like any startup, what is that niche? What are you, what problem are you trying to solve? Um, and, and, you know, like I said, that's, that's looks like there's a, there's a market for MVPs. So yep. that's where we're headed. And I think it's a really, really, really good market to be in. 
Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah. Plus, events are always fun. We, we tend to uh, talk with a lot of people, meet a lot of you know new faces. It's it's uh, I I have a blast. I think Harry also has a blast, and I think you also had a blast in the last one. So people watching, we this, certainly did. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly did. <laughs> come come to the next event, definitely. Yeah, it was good fun. Um, so as we kind of bring this to, to our natural close, if people want to reach out to you, George, uh, how can they do so? And please, th- this is our a plug moment. So uh, plug in the website, plug in the company. Uh, how can people find you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, um, just George Thwaites. Um, the business is Decodify. Um, the website is just www.decodify.uk. So nice and nice and simple to remember. Um, best way to get in contact um, is through LinkedIn because we're doing a lot of um, a lot of offers on there at the moment for startups. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also um, very active online on TikTok, um, Facebook, Instagram, um, and again, of course, you can you can speak to Harry or Ricardo and, and get through to us through them as well. Yeah, all right, perfect, George. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure talking. No, thank you very much. Thank you both. Yeah. Thank you. All right, and.